Welcome to a very special episode of the Underground Bunker Podcast. This is your proprietor, Tony Ortega. And with me is my old friend, John Sweeney. How are you, man? I am very well, thank you. Uh, Hail Zenu. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, uh, I'd like to say, I say it when I ever uh, talk about Scientology, uh, I first said, I'm living proof that Scientology is a load of nonsense in English, English. It's a load of old bollocks because if you spread the story that 75 million uh, years ago, the space alien Lord Zenu um, brought space aliens to Earth and blew them up um, with hydrogen bombs inside volcanoes. And the remains of those pesky dead space alien souls are the cause of all humanity's woes. You will die, and everybody you tell that story to will also die or be very troubled. And I have been doing this t- since 2007, and I am living proof that Scientology is rubbish. <laughs> well, that's a good place to start. Let's start there. 2007, uh, I was just getting to the Village Voice, and you had made this amazing documentary for Panorama, the BBC program. Um, investigating Scientology. And and one of the great features of that was that at that point, Scientology was still uh, bringing journalists in for some visits. They had a spokesman, Tommy Davis, who would actually talk to journalists. And so you got to visit some really interesting Scientology sites. You got to interview some Scientology celebrities. I mean, they never do this anymore. And of course, the most famous thing was you were stalked the whole time by not just Tommy Davis, but his partner in crime, Mike Rinder. And this became a major part of that documentary. And of course, the thing everyone remembers is that Tommy really got under your skin. And then what happened, John? I'm embarrassed to say uh, that I lost my temper. I apologize then and I apologize now. Um, But I really, when I lost my temper, it was... I've got a very, I've got a, a resonant voice, you can tell, but actually when I lose it, I really lose it. And uh, I sounded like a um, a kind of jet engine <laughs> <laughs> or, or an exploding tomato. Uh, and it was, and, and, and it was the particular argument um, was about something which I felt uh, a little guilty about, and it's fascinating how well Scientologists, people like Tommy Davis and Mike Rinder, though Mike Rinder was the silent partner on that day, what they do is how they play on um, on your weaknesses, they play upon a sense of guilt, and the, the particular um, guilt I had was there was a great, great guy um, called Sean. What was his surname? I forgot. Was it, it, was it Lonsdale? Yeah. So Sean Lonsdale was an anti-Scientologist who used to post, used to walk around Clearwater where he lived, uh, and and with um, sometimes with placards with very ironic um, and rather witty um, denunciations of of the cult. Remember, I mean, your listeners are all. Uh, fully aware of all this stuff, but essentially Scientology says it's a force for good and that they say that I'm a bigot, a liar and psychotic. 
Um, I've met more than enough ex-members of the Church of Scientology who have told me that it's a brainwashing cult. I believe it is a brainwashing cult. And it's stuff about fighting this space alien Satan Lord Zenu is dark nonsense. They tell their brainwashed adepts so that they can milk them for money. Um, anyway, Sean Lonsdale is he films Scientology zombies marching uh, hither and yon to and fro, fro and to the various bits of um, of their empire in downtown Clearwater in Florida, and they really, really don't like him. And as ever, they they hunt for you for his um, you know uh, black moments in his in his his life. And he were he was gay or bisexual. Um, and he'd been for a time a male prostitute and was twice um, uh, arrested and convicted, I think, of having um, sex with other men in, in public places. Now, this is embarrassing, but he wasn't ashamed of it uh, um, in a you know ghastly way. It wasn't something he would any anybody would wish to advertise but nevertheless um he, he you know he realized he'd, he'd, he'd made some mistakes in his when he was young and um and had um served um whatever uh penalties what well, none of these these aren't great crimes but nevertheless Scientology used this against him and and I met him um and I the first thing I said to him was Aren't you a bit of a nutter doing what you're doing? You know, really, you know, sticking your head in the, wow. the mouth of Scientology. Right. And and he 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 kind of answered the question in a very smart and good way. And I liked him. I admired him. He had real courage. And and in the middle of this conversation, in the top of a car park in Florida, overlooking um one of their orcs, suddenly there is a car. And then a man gets out of the car. He's wearing dark glasses, and it's Tommy Davis. And Tommy Davis, um, right, and he's like some kind of bad version of a Hollywood version of a kind of DA who's got the file on some mafia don, and he open. He's got a file with him, and he starts reading out the the, um, the, the charge sheets against um, Sean Lonsdale, and. Um, and then I and, and as he's reading out this stuff, I, I said, Well, hold on a second, Sean isn't an animal. He's here. What do you say to this? And Sean, Sean says, Well, can Scientology help me with any of these terrible <laughs> problems I've got? Really witty, really witty. And 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 the fact that I and then um Tommy Davis sort of comes on to me and um he um and, and I said, well, you're not giving us any access. What have you got to hide? And then he comes nose uh, to nose with me and kind of threatens me. And I stand my ground and I say, give us some access. You know, let us, if you're proud of what you've got, let's see it. Um, and, and I remember my um, my brilliant producer, Sarah Mole, uh, who comes from Essex. And Sarah used to, to say, I think he fancies you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> was really kind of really very very close um and anyway they uh, they went away to to cause yet more trouble and and then later on so what happened was um you know uh, 
all these events um they're in a blur but it felt like being in a battle royal with a church as they like to call it i'm you can't see this but i'm putting church in inverted commas <laughs> and um they came to our hotel at midnight but sarah who was very clever who is very clever and worked out and scientology attacks people like me and they wait until uh, our camera is locked up in the room and then they pounce and so she had a small camera with her at, at all times. We were returning from dinner. It's midnight. And there's Tommy Davis with, um, I think Mike Rinder's there, pale, ghostly. I didn't realise this at the time, but he'd been in the hole for, what, three or four years and hadn't seen daylight for, yeah. you know, for, and you could see he looked like a prisoner who'd just been plucked out of an oubliette that's a, uh, French word for for prison where they forget you from uh, the verb oublier and oubliette. And he'd been, anyway, so he's there kind of looking very, very sinister. And there's a Scientology uh, cameraman, a German, a guy with a German name. I forget, I forget his name. I've written all about this in my book, um, Church of Fear. Anyway, um, but we've got a camera. And Tommy Davis kind of, kind of, um, he's hassling me, and he's got a microphone. And I said, "But listen, excuse me, you know, we've just come back from dinner, and you're harassing us in our hotel. Um, and frankly, this is all a bit creepy. Here's your microphone." <laughs> so <laughs> and we filmed all of this. We filmed all of this on Sarah's small camera. Uh, Bill Brown, our brilliant cameraman, did that. So battle is joined. They come to our hotel. They hire creepy private eyes. We film one of these guys um, at breakfast staring at us um, in the car park, um, a creepy guy. And it's what um, Rick Ross, the great uh, cult buster, says is that they call this a noisy investigation. They want you to know that they're investigating you. Right. They want you to be afraid. There's a car chase in L.A. and I'm... Um, and I learned to drive in Sarajevo during the war, so I know how to move a car quickly. And I basically catch up with the people who are following us, um, and and I knock on the, at the traffic lights, and I go and knock on the door at the window. Are you from the Church of Scientology? They show us a whole bunch of of ex of, sorry of members of the church who are high profile including Tommy's mum, uh, the actor, actress, Anne Archer, whose bunny got boiled in Fatal Attraction. Um, Leah Rimini, who's, who's still in at that point in 2007. Right. Leah, by the way, struck me as by being far and away the most interesting, the most thoughtful, um, uh, and the, the least non-human of all right. these uh, right. space, space aliens. Um and we kind of liked each other and actually i didn't realize it but she was she was you could feel from the tenor of our conversation that although she took the piss out of me and although she mocked me she did it in a funny and and uh, human and humane way right um, but there was kind of the pressure on, on all of us was enormous and um and remember there's just um three of us Sarah Moll, the producer, Bill Brown, the, um, the cameraman, and me. 
and they had like four or five cameras and everywhere I went to Tommy Davis would pop up or if not him a private eye or somebody I felt like it was a private eye and the pressure sort of grew and grew at one point during the um these interminable sessions where you would there would be one Hollywood celebrity and then a kind of Z-lister person who was big in the church who I never knew. And um, and off we went. And at one point, I decided to hold a meeting with um, with Sarah and Bill. And there was nowhere we could go to because we were inside Scientology's uh, crazy uh, celebrity centre um, mm-hmm. in, in LA. And so we all went to the loo. And uh, the three of us always we were having a meeting, and then suddenly there's a there's a knock on the door, and uh, it's Tommy. I said, "John, are you in there?" Yes. <laughs> All three of you. <laughs> All three of you in the toilet together. And I said, "Yes, we're having a BBC meeting." All three of you in the toilet. Yes, it's a BBC requirement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. And it was dark because it's unrelenting pressure. Yeah. And I think on the, the seventh day, I said to Sarah, Sarah, I can't do this anymore. And Sarah's from Essex, as I said, and she said, shut up and do your job. And uh, it was only afterwards when she reviewed the Russians that she realised, partly because she was playing second camera and because you're filming, you don't actually see what you're filming because you're looking through the lens, not the big picture. And so that she didn't properly understand until I, um, um, until she saw everything in the edit, just how intense the pressure was on me. And then they took us to the uh, Psychiatry Museum of, of Death exhibition, which is a permanent exhibition, or at least it was anyway, on Sunset Boulevard in LA. And basically this exhibition tries to tell you a big dark lie, that psychiatry is Nazi pseudoscience. Now, psychiatry is an honest attempt by doctors to help treat the mentally ill, and that's never easy. And so in the history of psychiatry, there have been a lot of pretty gruesome mistakes as medicine um, of the time, this, you know, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th and 21st centuries have made some big mistakes about how you treat mentally ill people. But that doesn't mean it's fundamentally Nazi or that it's fundamentally pseudoscience. Right. It's, that's just not true. And, and I'm not enough, and I wasn't then, and I'm not now, um, enough of an expert on, on psychiatry to properly express where they were wrong um where tommy and mike rinder and the others who were all baiting me were wrong and then and and so i feel as if the, their fluency and their demented nonsense which they're ramming down their throat is getting to me and i feel a kind of a a, a an incoherent rage building up at me. By the way, this is all deliberate. This is what they do. Yeah. And then there's this this moment where they he Tommy talks to me, and then you know you protected your friend, uh, your uh, your friend. You treated him with kid gloves. Your 
from the sexual pervert Sean Lonsdale. Hold on. Hold on. You weren't there at the beginning of the interview. You, you treated your friend Sean Lonsdale. Tommy's voice is rising now. This is how I remember it. Sex pervert Sean Lonsdale. And then I just go, You are not there for the beginning of the interview. You <laughs> now, you listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the moment that I became famous um, in um, in Britain and around the world for losing my temper with the Church of Scientology. I apologise then, and I apologise now. <laughs> well, it is a famous moment. It's it's a wonderful moment, uh, Tommy. You know, and of course, I think a lot of people associate you and Tommy Davis together. I mean, whenever I. People think of you, they think of Tommy. When they think of Tommy, they think of you. And uh, that was 2007. Wonderful documentary that came out. Um, I think people thoroughly understood. I know Scientology tried to do something with that footage and to try to, you know, harm your reputation. But I don't think it did. With I think people were could totally understand where you were coming from. And then there's the most wonderful follow-up because that year, later that year, Mike Rinder escaped, and he we stayed, you know, kind of undercover for a while, under the radar for a while. And then in 2010, you were able to do this wonderful follow-up documentary, where now with Mike Rinder's help, you could go back and have him explain, yes, we were following you, yes, we were trying to mess with you. Um, and that was just a terrific. It just was so satisfying, wasn't it, to be able to go back and 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 do the same story, but but now with the cooperation of Mike. Yes. Uh, by the way, for some weird reason, the BBC um, have taken down the first uh, documentary, which is called Scientology and Me. Um, and and I, I was talking to. Um, a former colleague who was saying that's a bit weird and it's that uh, so it may be somewhere i'm i think you can find it on the internet you can certainly see me screaming but to understand why i'm screaming you need to watch the full context of it i think secrets of scientology the second film is is up there still but i don't think the bbc is still putting it out and i don't know whether that's because scientology has has made some uh legal arguments to the bbc and, and i've left the, the corporation now so i I'm I'm not on the inside track of that, but I find that a little worrying because I think as a matter um, for the public good, the BBC should continue to put that film up there. Yes, so you could um, you could ask about, yeah. but essentially the second film is is uh, the rematch. Uh, it is uh, Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman, and I <laughs> uh, you know. I've had my troubles, um, but I come out, um, um, whatever it is, dancing like a butterfly and stinging like a bee. And, right. and I've got the great advantage of this time, Mike Switch. Now, what happened was that Mike knew that he would have to carry the can for the appalling mess that Scientology and me created for David Miscavige, um, the um, Scientology's thumping pope if you like a big fa failure of both films 
in my view, Tony, is that we didn't tell all the truth about the thumping Pope, David Miscavige. Once again, he denies everything or concern, deny any wrongdoing. But there is over much evidence that David Miscavige is a psychotic bully who hits people um, wildly for no good reason. And we knew, we'd heard that he had physically beaten up Mike Rinder. And at one point during the filming of Scientology and Me, I put that to Mike Rinder and he denies it. Right. And there was a moment, um, and Mike writes about it in his book, which everybody should read. It's a great book. Um, um, a, a Billion Years, in which he remembers, I think this is my recollection of, of reading it. I read it about four or five months ago. But he knows he's lying. I ask him, have you ever been thumped? Have you ever been hit by David Miscavige? No, that's a lie. And he was lying. And he was lying to defend a man who beat him up, who was horrible to him, who abused him. And so what um, Mike Rinder did was um, he left. And he actually left while we were making that program. Uh, he just... Um, totally went off the grid, went off the radar. Um, a long time ago, he'd sold cars, or he's a natural salesman. He's got a real gift of the gab. And so he, um, we found out that he was selling cars in Virginia, and Sarah um, went out to, to see him and said, you know, we'd love, love it if you talk to him. That very year, I think, or the year after he defected, by the way, in the middle of making the film, um, Scientology and Me, there was there were some really funny moments. And one of the funniest moments where was I said to Tommy Davis is somewhere else, and I say to Mike Rinder, why I want to interview Scientology's Pope, David Miscavige. And this, we're off camera. It's in um, one of the few moments there aren't seven cameras on us. Why, why can't, why won't you let me interview him? And Mike Rinder says, because John, you're an asshole. <laughs> at, which, at which point, both Sarah and Bill burst out laughing, and they're laughing at Mike Rinder's joke at my expense. But he delivers it beautifully, and and because the cameras aren't rolling. He's coming out from behind his character, as you like. Right. And it's very funny. And that was fascinating because it was a moment when Mike saw that on, on in our gang, it's per, if I was the leader, I wasn't really the leader. We're all kind of equals. But in our gang, you can take the piss out of each other and nothing happens to you. Yeah. Because that's how we do our stuff. Because we're actually normal human beings, but also... Uh, the tolerance of laughter and mockery is, as um, the great professor Robert Lifton wrote in, um, in one of his books about brainwashing and cults, that that is the antidote, the enemy of the totalitarian mindset. And we all felt that Mike, Mike Rinder wanted to be in our gang where you could take the piss out of each other because we were equals. Right. His gang where you had to revere the leader. And and um, so there was a bit of a rapport between Sarah and Mike. Sarah went out there, and then 
three years later, 2010, Mike um, sits down and tells me everything. He tells me about the abuse. He tells me about being hit. He tells me about a series of utterly bizarre DMs, um, messages on his Blackberry for right. a month. And there's, there's stuff like YS, which f- stands for YS. What's it stand for? It's... <laughs> and then my favourite is Y-S-C-O-H-B. Right. Which stands for You Suck Cock on Hollywood Boulevard. This is the word of the Church of Scientology. And what I do is when I do I do a talk, or I used to, I haven't done it so, uh, so often, I, but uh, I should do it. Actually, what I should do is do it in uh, next time I'm in, I'm in Kiev because Scientology is, um, it's pushing its dark, nonsensical message to to Ukraine as if Ukraine hadn't got enough problems. Yeah. Uh, but um, what I do is get members of the audience to read out these crazy texts from the Pope Miscavige. Uh, and um, my favourite, as I said, is Y-S-C-O-H-B, you suck cock on Hollywood Boulevard. And they, you know, that is the man at the heart of this dark monster. Right. He's a man who is incredibly abusive who is has a has a sick mind is in some way mentally ill um who denounces psychiatry and uses the power of mental kidnap over his adepts to to keep them in a kind of dungeon of the mind he milks them for their money and what talents or beauty they may have and and he he is destroying human lives and and the human spirit over and over again and then and then mike rinder is he you know obviously he was for a time he was head of osa the office of special affairs he was scientology's himmler if you like he was a secret policeman who did terrible things to people, and I think he still feels um, deeply guilty about his past. But boy, did he suffer for it, and boy, has he done his best, in particular his book, which is very generously written, um, sets out what he got so horribly wrong. Um, and so part of the, um, the, the, the thing I feel very... It's one of the things I feel proud about in my life as a as a reporter and a journalist. And obviously I've made mistakes. I'm a human being. And journalism is a very, very human pursuit. But nevertheless, standing up to the Church of Scientology in 2007, before um, people with um, bigger, um, more, more clout um, than like people like Louis Theroux and Lawrence Wright, before they got going, um, we had a go. And um, we troubled them. The thing I'm upset about or disappointed was we were unable to convince the BBC's lawyers to to publish the story we knew to be true, but David Miscavige had a violent temper and went around hitting people. We knew it to be true. We had stacks of evidence. 
but the problem uh, then was that the um, the British libel courts, there's still a problem, but there was a danger of being sued in Britain. And the calculation was that what we should do is set out as best we can the evidence that the Church of Scientology was an abusive organisation. But we weren't able to publish the um, the best allegation, if you like, or the, the heaviest allegation, which was David Miscavige hit people routinely inside the church. What then happened was that Lawrence Wright did the story, good on him, um, and then told in um, in the um, in his book Going Clear and the film Going Clear, and um, um, good on them. I I kind of um, so. Uh, um, it was it felt I felt disappointed about that on the other hand we had a real go and and the big thing for me um, this is before Twitter um, 2007 but there are tons and tons of young people who were young people when they saw that school um, at school or students at university who've come up to me and said I really um uh, you know, I watched that and thank you because those people who could have got sucked into this evil cult started running in the opposite direction. Well, and another legacy uh, is that those texts that Mike brought out with him, which document how he and Tommy Davis were being directed in their stalking of you was entered as a court exhibit. It is an official court document now. Those texts uh, are things that any journalist, any news organization can quote from the court record. And I think it's very important because it does demonstrate, like you said, this real David Miscavige, the one who uses that kind of abusive language is right there in the court record. So, and again, that we only have that probably some of the the most uh, clear evidence of who David Miscavige really is, thanks to the fact that you were their target and that they were doing everything they could to contain you. And then Mike brought that evidence out. So that's that's one thing that I I always think about as a great legacy of those films that you did. Uh, also, I just want to point out um, that the Tampa Bay Times uh, exposed David Miscavige as beating people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, it did. Yes. Um, yes, the um, St. Petersburg Times and the Tampa Bay. It was the same, basically yeah. the same paper, same guys. Yes, that's true. Uh, that's true. I've forgotten that. They, their reporting was essentially Lawrence Wright was the kind of... Um, in 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 um, British World War Two terms, um, the Tampa Bay paper was the destroyer that first identified the Bismarck, um, <laughs> and Lawrence Wright was the battleship that sank it. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> but let's not forget the little destroyer. They, they they did a bloody good job. What was frustrating was that we knew Sarah and I knew this story to be true, but we couldn't get it through. Uh, the anxiety the BBC had that they would um, uh, uh, the the risk for them was pissing away an awful lot of BBC license payers' money on on 
on proving something about an organization that was obviously clearly bad and mad but it was but journalistically it was um it was tough um having to live with that failure um showbiz i suppose is is where i um you know that showbiz but there we go anyway i do uh, what's funny about it though tony is that a couple of years later, I get arrested in Pakistan by the Pakistani secret police, the ISI, and they torture people and sometimes they kill people. And they we they found us where they didn't want us to be. Um, and there was about seven of them. And the lead goon, he had spoke Oxford English, fancy suit, pitted skin, some male perfume. I didn't like him at all. <laughs> and he said, I said, uh, have you got, um, who are you? John Sweeney. And I work for BBC Panorama. Can you prove that? Yes. Here's my passport. Here's my press pass. And he gave it to one of the goons who drove off into the dust. And then he turned to me and he said, who are you? And can you prove it? And my Pakistani um, fixer, Pakistani cameraman, started to looked very worried. And I turned to this guy and I said, my name's John Sweeney and I work for BBC Panorama and I have 7 million hits on look on YouTube. Look me up. And he, he went away and then saw the video of me screaming at Tommy Davis <laughs> and then uh, uh, came back with my passport and press pass and they said, I'm terribly sorry, Mr Sweeney. There appears to have been a terrible mistake. <laughs> So this kind of this beautiful um, bonkers thing is that because what Scientology did was they put out my um, me screaming at Tommy Davis with no context um, out on Saturday afternoon. Panorama comes out Monday evening. So for three whole days, I was pilloried um, across the planet, in particular by stupid people, stupid TV people a lot of them in the States, but um, some of them around the world. And the smarter people in the media, including people in the Sun and the Mail, knew there was another side of the story, and they just waited and waited and waited. And basically, I was beaten up as a, you know, a, a bad-tempered boar, and somebody with kind of mental health problems for three whole days <laughs> until the show went out Monday evening and five million people watched the show. And I can remember BBC Management who very much adopted uh, the role of a Roman emperor, going to say, okay, so um, we're not going to say what we think about the gladiator. Uh, we put him into the middle of the arena. We're going to say, see what the plebs think. And as one, the public reaction, certainly in Britain, was, oh, John, you know, we're, we're there. We're there with you. We understand. <laughs> And it's thumbs up. And so after a lot of, um, uh, um, and I remember, uh, this is before Twitter, but there were, I got hundreds of emails. And one was, Mrs. Sweeney, you're my hero. Uh, I know I'm sounding like a 15-year-old girl, but I am actually the vice president of the Royal College of Psychiatry. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, uh, I'm going to swear now, uh, I'm warning your uh, listeners. Um but uh, there was an email from the, the Red Watch of the Lambeth River um, bit of the London Fire Brigade. 
and Mrs. Sweeney were with you the whole way. And when you lost it, we lost it with you. But frankly, we all thought you should have punched that cunt. <laughs> so a couple of days later, after this, anyway, 5 million views, the, the most the highest watched panorama that year or for, and for two or three years or something like that, the, the deputy director general of the BBC walked up to me after an awful lot of silence from the bosses and went, great programme, John, great programme, and shook my hand and... and and ran away as as was the bosses won't with me, but it was um, it was funny. Um, and um, what we did was told truth to power, and and I didn't like it one little bit. They know they surely did not. Well, John, uh, your both of those documentaries were terrific, and of course, they meant a lot to me. You and I began corresponding a little bit, and I just wanted to, I don't know if people knew this story or not, but um, I was, a couple years after that, in, in 2012, I, 2013, I was looking for a home for my book about Paulette Cooper, and I happened to mention that to you, and then you told me this wonderful story about how you were walking your dog, Birdie, right? And yep. you ran into a journalist by the name of Humphrey Hunter who was becoming a publisher and he ended up publishing a couple of your books. And then you put it, me in touch with them and he published my book, the unbreakable miss lovely. I don't know how many people realize that uh, I have you to thank for making that happen. And I just want to thank you again, because I love Humphrey and I had great experience publishing that book with him. So Humphrey, um, it was no one would publish my book. Um, Church of Fear about Scientology. And um, there's this bloke here with this tiny, irritating dash on. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> he says, uh, You're John Sweeney. And I, I yeah, I am. And um, and we, uh, we, you know, we walk our dogs together and we chat. I said, Well, no one's going to bloody publish my book about Scientology. No one will take it. And he looked at me and he said, I will. Um, and he did. So hum and but Humphrey's back history is fascinating because his grandma was a German Jewish psychiatrist who who um um but anyway she was German Jewish and she fled uh, the Nazis, came to England, trained as a psychiatrist, and her son, Humphrey's dad, was a psychiatrist too. And so he understood. Through, um, and by the way, together, those two wrote this um, fascinating book, which set out the medical evidence, which led to the, um, the book and then the wonderful play and film about the madness of King George. Oh. Um, so that, anyway, but Humphrey knew from his grandma and his dad that psychiatry wasn't a bad thing. Um, and that Scientology was a bad thing. And so um so this this um so we've got a bond bond and Humphrey's my agent um and he publishes some of my books that no one else will to this day. Uh, but but it, it it's Tony it's kind of uh, you know I want to share this to anybody who feels that they're down and life is bad um there's some sweet moments here. So I do a talk 
Um, remember, Scientology hates psychiatry, so psychiatry likes me. And uh, one of the things I, I get, I pick up a beautiful and fascinating friendship in that in 2016, I'm invited, or 2017, I forget which, um, by the president of the Ukrainian Psychiatric Association, Semyon Glusman, because he understands that uh, Scientology is operating in Ukraine. It's harming people, many of whom are vulnerable, who've got mental health problems already. And Scientology is not the answer to whatever problems they've got, as Sean Lonsdale uh, would have told them when he's still alive, poor man. And um, they, um, so I, I get to know Semyon, and Semyon was a brilliant psychiatrist who actually um, first wrote a report condemning the Soviet abuse of psychiatry in 1971 and spent 10 years in a Soviet gulag for his courage. Because he spent 10 years in a Soviet gulag, he um, is one of the world's experts on the KGB mindset. So when I came to write my book, Killer in the Kremlin, about Vladimir Putin, one of the key contributors to this is Semin Glusman, the psychiatrist, the Ukrainian psychiatrist who understands the KGB mindset better than anyone else on earth, I think. And I know him thanks to the Church of Scientology. Huh. But 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 my uh, my gratitude towards the church doesn't stop there. In 2019, and I think your listeners will appreciate this. Um, what happens is, I'm uh, essentially I'm at the end of the road of my BBC career because BBC management have been looking for a reason for getting rid of me. I think, um, but I'm and I make a mistake. I'm a human being, and basically I'm trying to do a panorama about a far-right British guy called Tommy Robinson, and I end up drinking too much with a source. And the 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 source is a woman who used to work with him, and she's fallen out with this guy, Tommy Robinson, and he puts an online hate army against her, and, and they tell her things like, we're going to give you an acid facial, we're going to rape you with a barbed wire glove. It's very, very bleak and dark. And what I don't understand, don't get, is that she's secretly filming me as we have this conversation. And basically she says, oh, you know, I can't give her any money, but I can take her out uh, for a very nice, long, boozy dinner, which I do twice. And she secretly films me. And what she does is say, oh, can we have some brandies? And then I say, oh, let's have some brandies. And so essentially all, all the um, the bits where she's leading me astray, as it were, are edited out of this film. Why did she give the film to Tommy Robinson if her followers, his followers, had threatened her in this horrible way that they did? because I think she was like Nancy and Oliver Twist in that she knew that Bill Sykes was a bad man, but she was still in love with him. Mm. So, so it was a, a, a bad time for me, and BBC wanted to uh, effectively sack me. Um, and the union, the National Union of Journalists, said, have you ever had post-traumatic shock disorder? Yes, three of my friends have been killed. And um, in the various wars I've been to, because long before I did Scientology, I was a war reporter, which is why I felt at home being doing Scientology, because I was a war reporter. Anyway, so I wrecked my BBC career. I'm, I'm in a mess, and the BBC are trying to sack me for gross professional misconduct. And I sit in a psychiatrist's waiting room, and it's the bleakest moment of my professional career. 
and the other people, um, the other patients in the room, they can see me, and I'm the man from the telly. They could have even seen the the, the, the films that I did for Panorama. Who knows? And I feel very down. And I go into the psychiatrist's waiting room, and he looks at me, and he says, um, before we start, Mr. Sweeney, I just want to say, I really loved your film about the Church of Scientology. <laughs> And from being this absolute low point, I thought yet again, the church is, you know, it's got my back. (laughs) 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 And he writes a beautiful report, which says, Mr. Sweeney has a robust and resilient personality, but anyone under extreme pressure can crack. Uh, And that made it very difficult for the BBC to sack me. Ah. And the BBC hired a professor of psychiatry to fuck my psychiatrist report. And Tony, can you guess what the professor of psychiatry said? What did he say? I can't guess. He said, I love your film about Scientology. <laughs> what do you want me to write? <laughs> and that and that meant the BBC could not sack me full stop. Um, yeah. and, uh, we came to a... Um, a decent um, financial arrangement. Um, they and I, they couldn't sack me. I left um, mutually, you know, um, uh, beneficial terms. And um, so I'd very much like to thank the Church of Scientology for looking after me, you know, physically in Pakistan and other places and uh, and financially as well, <laughs> in, a, in a funny way. Uh, they, so... Um, but okay, that's a joke. It's an evil, dark thing, and it fucks you up. Um, and and I, I mean, one of the other funny things um, is when I did that show in two thousand and seven. Um, my kids, so my oldest would have been Sam would have been about sixteen, seventeen. I can remember, I was worried that Scientology would get to my kids. Yeah. And I, my daughter is Molly. Is um, I think my uh, I couldn't see my daughter doing uh, falling for it, but I was worried about my son. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And one day he said, "Dad, um, you know, can you give me twenty quid because I'm going to the pub?" I said, "But Sam, I, you know, I gave you a tenner on Friday, on Wednesday. Like this is Friday, whatever." I said, oh, "Fine." Fine, fine, fine. Don't give me any money. But I just want you to know I'm joining the church. (laughs) And then as I handed out the 20 quid, I thought, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, but, but he said, and he was far too smart and streetwise uh, to, uh, to go with it. But, um, but there's still, I mean, what's fascinating is, I, I, I'm sure you you follow the story, but I'm interested in Scientology's power, soft power in Hollywood to this day. Yeah. And I was struck by a story in the Los Angeles Times, which pointed out the following, that there was a um, this movie Scientology's greatest star, Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick. And there's a there's an interesting anomaly, and in, I'm an investigative journalist and I'm a writer, but 
the investigative journalists, I'm always interested in anomalies. So the original Top Gun, the baddies are Russian and they fly MiGs. And there's mention of MiGs more than 50 times in the movie. Okay. In the remake, very successful, um, Top Gun Maverick, there are there are no baddies. They might be around, but kind of from the geography, from the climate, you would think it was some kind of Nordic country. So, but it's not Russia. There's no mention of Russia. There's no mention of mix at all. So, why would that be? And it was only because of the the money behind the um, um, the story of who was the money behind the film came out in a um, in an employment um, case. Somebody was saying that they had been um, an executive in Hollywood was saying that they'd been unfairly treated. Right. And in the um, in the detail, it came out that the money behind Top Gun Maverick, or at least a, a big chunk of that money, was actually owned by a Russian oligarch called Dmitry Ribolovlev. Let's call him Rebo because it's easier. Yeah, Rebo. And okay. So Mr. Rebo um, is a lot of the money. And then what happens is there are no mention of Russians. Now, there may be lots of reasons for this. But here's one, that Mr. Rebo didn't like the idea that the baddies were Russian and said, you know, as the film was moving from script to um, to being made, and I'm hypothecating, I don't know, and there hasn't been any um, serious answers. Um, let's, let's not make it Russia, shall we? Let's keep it anonymous. Now, I don't know whether that happened. I'm just, that's a, um, that's a hypothesis. I put that to Tom Cruise's publicist and I got no reply. So what I find a little puzzling is that one of the most hands-on and successful Hollywood stars of the modern age, Tom Cruise, who famously, when he, you know, meets the crew, he remembers everybody's name and shakes their hand and says, how are you? And all of that, who is completely into the detail, obsessively so. And as a Scientologist of, um, of, of, of a high level, is, of course, a master over space, energy, and time. Mass, energy, space, and time. Right. He can move ashrays and more. This man doesn't spot the anomaly. Russians in the original, no Russians in the, in the remake. How come? I... You know, I first was approached uh, last year uh, by someone uh, who was attempting to blow the whistle on that. And I, I wrote that both Vanity Fair and um, there was another organization, oh, Le Monde, had both paid some attention to this man who claimed that the FBI was looking into this. And that was a story... I did last June that um, that this new Republic pictures in Los Angeles had suddenly showed up to sort of rescue Paramount from financial disaster. And this is what helped finance a number of films, not just Top Gun. Um, I didn't hear anything else about it after that. And then all of a sudden, this Ukrainian expat group popped up just before the Oscars to uh, make this claim 
And like you, I'm very interested in that. I just don't know if there's a smoking gun about it yet. I don't know if this uh, oligarch's money directly affected the financing of Top Gun or not. Or, or, or the writing of it. So to be fair, it's possible after the after the making of the um of the movie um the interview when the North Koreans hacked Sony. Right. There is a kind of nervousness across Hollywood about um, naming and identifying particular countries. Sure. And, and I can that's okay, that's reasonable. So there, there may be there may be no smoke and no fire. However, when you have Russian money and an actor who is a member of the Church of Scientology, because of Scientology's peculiar behavior over the years, because of the secrecy um, of the cults, because of the secret way in which David Miscavige operates and the organization, the cult's use of fear and intimidation against people, then it's reasonable, I think, for people like you and I who have suffered um, at the hands of the cult to be suspicious. It's, you know, we're not being paranoid. Just because we're paranoid doesn't mean they don't hate us. They do hate us. Uh, <laughs> and all of that. So, that you know, that's another thing. But, um, you know, the story continues. There are good people um, out there who continue to have lost their... Um, have lost access to their their friends and families i'm thinking for example of mike rinder you know he's got um uh, he's got his kid with his uh, lovely second wife and and that child doesn't know his um his grandparents as i understand it on both sides because the grandparents are still mental captives right. of the Church of Scientology. Right. And like, it's just one person. And by the way, so I went to that wedding when he married his um, uh, his lovely lady. Christy. And it, it was, sorry? Christy Colbrand. Yeah, Christy. I've um, a good memory. I'm going gaga. <laughs> um, but um, it was kind of like uh, inviting Satan to your wedding. <laughs> I spent the entire wedding having to go around doing, uh, replaying. You are not there for the music. <laughs> and do you and do you remember who performed the ceremony? Um, it was Marty Rathbun. That's right. <laughs> and, and 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 the tragedy, Marty's tragedy, is that Marty was. Marty got out and smelt the fresh air of a free world outside the Church of Scientology, and then went back in again, um, or something. Right. Um, and, um, and I think the an answer to that is that he was a deeply troubled man before he joined Scientology, was troubled inside it, was troubled outside it, and has gone back into it because he thinks it gives him some answers to, to, to life's problems. Right. I don't I don't think he's gone back into Scientology in the sense of being in the church of Scientology, but there's no question he has once again become Scientology's go-to attack dog. And yes. has so, put so, out so, um, yes. Yes, he hasn't rejoined the the spiritual organization. Right. But he's running alongside it as an yeah. attack dog. Yeah. And that's kind of sad. Um 
but but I felt um, um, it, of the two of them, um, Marty was um, was the more difficult character to to kind of work with on a, on a, uh, and um, and Mike was delightful. Um, right, right. But I mean, but in, in Mike's book, I mean, he talks about, for example, he there's a moment where he sees John Travolta, John Travolta kiss another man, and you know, this is, you know, like we're in the 21st century. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong in that. Right. The problem is that Scientology has got a hold over him, and for whatever reason it seems to me is that John Travolta is in denial of his true sexuality and that that Scientology uh, and David Miscavige's own anxiety um, or rather dislike of homosexuality is, is forbidding um, Travolta from being the man who he who he truly is um now um and mike writes about that very sensitively and thoughtfully in in his in his great book yeah uh, so there is a kind of you know um and, and every now and then but mike um sort of pops up um sends me a message um he was fascinated for example that i went undercover to north korea and 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 you know the, the so what's the difference between Scientology and North Korea? Well, um, Scientology has Tom Cruise, North Korea has nuclear weapons. <laughs> other, than, other than that, they're they cults. Obviously, North Korea is bigger and and vastly more frightening, but essentially, it's a cult. And again, the great expert on cults is Professor Robert Lifton. Who wrote a this stunning? He he treated American GIs who'd been brainwashed by the Chinese communists who'd been captured in the Korean Civil War and held by the North Koreans, and he, because of military secrecy, he couldn't write about treating the uh, the American GIs, but he wrote about treating uh, Dutch Catholic priests, Chinese businessmen um, who'd been brainwashed by the Chinese communists. And once again, you know, the enemy of, uh, of brainwashing of the totalitarian mindset is tolerance of humor and tolerance of mockery. Right. And the moment I go anywhere near an organization or a group of people where there is no sense of humor, where you can't take the piss out of um, whoever's in charge, I smell something wrong. Oh, yeah. Like the BBC. <laughs> no, no 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 listen i mean i fell out with the bbc and the bbc fell out with me but i um um but i made mistakes i was the author of my own misfortune i uh, believe in the bbc it is a noble thing it allows british culture to punch above its weight and i still very much pay its license fee okay and i do i um I agree with like admire some bbc managers in particular tony hall former um and now disgraced um uh, director general no i don't at all but as a thing it's a noble thing and and i um and i support it very much 
Okay. But yeah. also, you could take the piss out of it. And I did um, very often when I was there, um, which may have been one of the reasons. Well, no, it's it's a big organisation, which um, because it's a big organisation, it's got a big heart and and it still works for the public good. Well, let's talk about Tommy Davis a little bit because he's such a part of your story. And I just wanted to bring you up to date on him to make, I don't know how closely you've been paying attention. You've been so busy in Ukraine and things like that. But of course he's had a very eventful number of years since, since your second uh, documentary in 2010, the next year he, I, it's my belief he was fired because he did so badly handling Lawrence Wright. And uh, he, he basically got bounced from the Sea Org in a, in March 2011, right after Larry's piece had come out in, in the New Yorker. After that, he spent some time, uh, he, he went to Tom Barrick, who was his dad's very good friend. Tom Barrick is a wealthy real estate investor. He also spent some time working for James Packer, the Australian billionaire. Um, and he has not left the Church of Scientology. He actually gave a deposition where he said that Tommy Davis is no longer a spokesman for Scientology. He's no longer in the Sea Org, but he is still in the Church of Scientology. He has said that. But I wanted to make sure you knew that he's back working for Barrick, um, and he's sort of doing for Tom Barrick, this wealthy investor, what he was doing for David Miscavige. But recently, <laughs> Tommy Davis lost his temper in a very interesting way. I wanted to make sure you knew about this. Paul Haggis had this trial last fall, and his wife uh, tested his ex-wife. I'm sorry, his ex, Paul Haggis's ex-wife, Deb Bernard, had testified as a character witness because she really believes in him, even though they had split up. And uh, Brian Seymour had done some really good reporting, the Australian journalist, about how Tommy was caught in a deposition. A deposition described how Tommy was dig trying to dig up dirt on Paul Haggis for the Church of Scientology by asking someone to illegally break into files at the Screen Actors Guild. And that person refused. But that person uh, testified in a deposition. This was read out in court, and this apparently made Tommy very unhappy. In other words, the point is, sorry I'm taking so long, Tommy Davis was exposed in court as doing this dirty work for the Church of Scientology, very much like what he was doing to you. Subsequent to that, he accosted Deb Bernard in the street here in New York and blew his top, basically. And I just wanted to make sure you knew that Tommy was, and I, I reported on that, so that Tommy was caught losing his temper. Uh, temper. Yeah, I kind of, well, we're all human beings and human beings every now and then, you know, you lose your rag. But I feel... I feel sorry for anybody who's still stuck inside the Church of Scientology. His problem is that his entire life, I think his mother is a, a very, very powerful influence on him. I don't know, is she still alive? I've, um... Oh, yeah, Ann Archer's alive and she's still a dedicated Scientologist, no question. Yes, so I think the problem is that he can't... I think I feel desperately for sorry for people who have been effectively born into the Church of Scientology or near as damn it, um, and so the problem is they don't know life outside it. So it's a bit like the Truman Show. The framing of their entire human existence is inside this, this dark cult. 
but they don't know it's a dark cult and they don't know that actually life outside is is vastly more fun um so you you've got a um you've got someone like tommy davis who could be charming uh, there were little moments where he seemed um there's a moment when we were in the lift together and i think um somebody had to carry the sarah was carrying the tripod i was so physically and so mentally exhausted i wasn't um thinking straight i was just and he was in the lift with us again which is an irritation because um it, he's denying us any kind of downtime without him where we all have to be careful of what we say which is part of their part of their game of of continuing total you know 24 7 pressure um having said all that there is this moment where he he helps sarah with the tripod and he's being charming but also he's being a kind of servant and what's strange about tommy is i think that he enjoys or he's more at home um as being somebody else's butler than he is being his own man or woman um and there's a there's something he so you know he's he works as at one point he's very very close to to tom cruise by the way he, originally back in the day he was called tom davis but the problem is you couldn't have two toms in the same room tom cruise and tom davis without without um having to say oh you mean cruise rather than davis so the solution was for tommy to to give up his um original normal first name tom and he turned himself into tommy wow and then he um um that's the gossip that's the story i've heard then he changes again or rather he becomes miscavige's butler then he becomes um this guy barrack's butler then he becomes packer's butler yeah he's back to big so there's um there's a sense that this is a man who is ever so keen on helping a a powerful and rich man you know who sweeps their table who gets a dustpan and brush to pick up the crumbs who puts the drinks in the dishwasher um and there's something i don't know there's something slightly um wrong about that and there's something sad about the fact that he isn't a man or you know a woman of his own free will he's dependent um on living inside a um um a system decreed by this um confidence trickster l ron hubbard and then his um son on earth david miscavige this psychotic bully and thug and and you think what the hell are you doing you've actually got you know he's an attractive man he's fluent he's uh he he's got a lot going for him and yet he's still to this very day a kind of butler for um for dark nonsense and he's um, got a new he's got a new uh relationship he's married an egyptian actress and they have a son uh and i'm it's i, I it's nice to hear you being so charitable about him i guess the message we have john is 
come on out, Tommy. You know, I mean, it, it, it's so much better yeah. out here. I would love to sit down um, and um, and um, have a pint with him in a pub. Um, and and like, but but anyway, I, I just have to wait um, and wait and wait. Maybe uh, maybe it won't happen. Um, but but the difficulty is that these people are brainwashed and they're agents of um, of dark nonsense, and they're human beings too. And um, you and and I think I suppose and I've got to run away and do some other things shortly. But I, I a question for me is why is understanding and telling the truth about Scientology important? Um, and I think that I I also look at other uh, cults, for example, Islamic State, which. Or North Korea, Islamic State, you know, is um, Islamism um, the the mad, ferocious, um, evil end of uh, of a great religion, or um, and less so now, but certainly 2014, 15, 2016, 2017, was doing terrible things both in Syria and uh, around the world, uh, in London too. So the the purpose of understanding why Scientology works um, is not useless because I know people who were devout Scientologists when I lost my temper in 2007 who have now left. People like Leah Rimini and Mike Rinder right. and many others too. And what's fascinating is that there was a moment inside um, their deep brainwashing where they understood that I had been manipulated to lose my temper and that there was something wrote. So everybody, all the Scientologists were shown, look at this crazy guy. This is the enemy. This is what the enemy is like. The, what happened was even inside their brainwashing, people like Mike Rinder and Leo Rimini could see that what, what Scientology was doing to me was wrong. And if we can somehow apply um, that way of thinking to people who are in Islamic State or people who are inside the North Korean brainwashed nation, then, um, then at least you know something, which is that they're still human beings, and some kind of redemption, some kind of exit from the cult is possible or not impossible. And that's how we should think about these people, which, by the way, I'm not at all suggesting we don't fight them. Of course, we've got to fight them. But we have to fight them according to proper rules, rules of law and the rules of common decency, um, because they're still human beings, albeit human beings who are locked inside a kind of dungeon of the mind. John, tell can you just? Uh, I know we just have a minute left. Can you just let people know the late the things you've been doing most most? I'm sorry, most recently, and that and how they can find you these days. Oh yeah, well, essentially, uh, I I don't do much on Facebook, but I have a presence on Twitter, even though Elon Musk mucks around with it. And um, so I'm at John Sweeney Raw. That's at John Sweeney Raw, as in losing my temper with the Ch uh, Church of Scientology. Yeah, why not? R O A R. And um, I've got a Patreon account, um, which essentially is 
I do when I'm in, uh, I, I try and spend a lot of my time. I spent most of last year in the, in Kiev in Ukraine. I reported on the whole of battle of, um, the whole of battle of Kiev. I never left. Um, I was a crazy old English guy who stayed when lots of reporters left. And I did a podcast called Taking on Putin, which led to a, a, a book, which is a bestseller in Britain, um, called Killer in the Kremlin, um, which is out in paperback in Britain. And it's going to be out in paperback in September. So um, I'm looking essentially at the Church of Putinology, which is like Scientology with Vladimir Putin at its head, as opposed to David Miscavige. But roughly all these things are the same. You've got some kind of messiah. You've got some kind of brainwashing that does harm and 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 that does brainwashing and the organization, the thing does harm. North Korea, Islamic State, the Church of Scientology, uh, the Russian government, the Russian secret state, they're all different. And Scientology actually is probably the least harmful of these four things I've just set out. However, Scientology manages to pull off its dark trick tricks inside the world's greatest democracy. Yeah. Inside the open spaces of Florida and California, you will find dark nonsense. That's what's so weird about it. It is. It is. Um, but um uh, and I am and you and I uh, have been put on this earth, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> To stand up to this dark nonsense, or at least as it says in Monty Python, to fart in its general direction. <laughs> well, and listen, I've I have had the privilege of actually getting together with you in London and having drinks, and uh, it's just been absolutely wonderful. And thank you so much for joining us here at the podcast, John. Hey, uh, it's been a real pleasure, um, and keep on fighting the good fight. And um, I haven't been over the, um, I suppose, so I'm going to Ukraine shortly. Um, people say I'm very brave. All it means is I walk from the zigzag, a rather <laughs> big, uh, a bar restaurant to the Buena Vista, the kind of Cuban dancing bar um, without falling over in the snow, which is always, uh, that's not very brave. But uh, it is, it's great to uh, stand with the people of Ukraine. Who is standing up to another kind of cult, Putin's cult? Um, and I'm confident that they will um, uh, um, that they will win, win through. Um, as I'm confident, at some point or other, the Church of Scientology's dark nonsense will will fizzle out. But um, not yet, it seems. Still, anyway, um, it's been a real pleasure, Tony, and I um, look forward to seeing you one of these days where we will have a beer. Okay. Thank you very much, John. I'll talk to you later. Cheers. Bye. Now I will go down in Bunker Town again, again, again to witness history ride the storm wait to see how reckoning